Well, good morning. It is great to see you, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here. And before he gets away, we really need to say thanks to Josh and his team. That's a lot of work. That is huge. Give it up for him, all right? And I, uh, finally, I've got a service where I can embarrass her. But I'll tell you, one of the ones that put all the legwork is Brittany, and she's right here in this service. Brittany, wave your hand right there. Thank you, Brittany, for the hours, the weeks, the months. Uh, this has been a long time coming, and so we really appreciate the work you guys did, and I think God's going to use that tool. Um, hey, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, uh, starting there. We're going to be over in uh, Gospel of Mark, and uh, as we continue our series in His Story, um, moving into kind of the final stages of uh, the earthly life of, of Christ and walking with Him. Uh, as you're turning there, and as ushers are going to be offering the Bible, I want to just give you a heads up on a couple other things. Uh, first of all, today at 1245, we are having our first informational meeting for any of you that are interested in going to Israel in 2019. Uh, month of February, all the details we're going to share this afternoon, the registration, every question that you might have, we're going to be able to, to kind of solve that for you. So join us at, if you're interested in the Olympic Pavilion, which is right behind this building, uh, it's the one on the left. We name them according to the mountains that they're closest to, okay? The Olympic on this side, the Cascades on this side. So come back and join us at 1245, and, uh, and you can find out all about it. Uh, also, I want to I just prompt you guys to start thinking with us about Easter. It's only three weeks away, and you know as well as I do that many people are, are more sensitive. They're more open to inv invitations at this time. And if you pray and start thinking and asking the Lord to guide you, uh, you, you may find somebody that will be responsive to an invite. We're going to give you cards next week, starting next week, that you can put in their hand for the services. But I'll tell you, I, I'm excited about the front door, the first experience they have here on our site as the Saturday, which we do our extravaganza. This thing has really turned into something. Uh, last year, we had 2,500 people show up on Saturday. Uh, with their kids, and they had a blast. And if you were here, you know it was, it was exciting. Uh, I was telling Annette yesterday, we were outside working. Wasn't the sunshine something yesterday and today? And I, it just like the spring finally is here. So we're outside, and we hear our neighbor's kids playing next door. And I'm thinking, man, they, they, need, to, they need to come. They will thank you for an invite, because it is a fun, fun time. We're going to have some invite cards for that, stacks next week. So if you've got kids in your neighborhood or wherever you're at, they will thank you uh, to, to make that connection, I believe. And it, it could be maybe the first step of them uh, developing a relationship with us. So think about that. And then Friday night, we're going to be having a Good Friday service again that our student ministry is sponsoring. So just tuck those away as, as we're looking ahead, uh, as we move, move closer toward that celebration of uh, Jesus' resurrection. Uh, just wanted to let you know, keep in prayer uh, Damien and his family. Uh, he lost his, uh, their grandmother, Alica's grandmother. They were very, very close as, as she was being raised. And so they were down in Oakland this weekend with their family, this weekend uh, celebrating. And uh, boy, I've really appreciated your prayers. I'm going to be heading, we, we are going to be heading down tomorrow to, to uh, service for my brother on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday about 11 o'clock, 11.30 Appreciate your prayers. I, I don't know what to expect. It's going to be interesting. My sister-in-law and I, we've been talking and talking about this service, and it, it, I don't know, it could be, it be, it could be really something. I, I'm finding more and more about my brother's influence in the Central Valley and, and just the folks that are going to be there and the opportunity to share the gospel. 
and, and he, he, was, he was a different guy. I, he was kind of eccentric. He wants bagpipes, you know, with a amazing grace, and then to kind of morph into ACDC. Uh, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll with bagpipes. And I'm thinking, I can't, hardly, I can't wrap myself around this yet, but uh, that, that's going to be a taste of it. So we'll, we'll see where it goes, but appreciate your prayers. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, and somebody brought to my attention last week, we did not mention uh, Billy Graham's passing, but uh, many of you I know uh, probably witnessed the funeral and, and the, uh, the memorials, and actually my brother-in-law, Ron Wilcox, who is the COO for Samaritan Purse, he was at both the Rotunda in Washington, D.C. and the, the library uh, service, and we were talking this week, and he says it was just amazing, uh, the people that were there, I think about 2,500 people that were gathered, and and just the impact that he had, it, it goes without saying. And um, I guess I keep thinking, who is going to be raised up to be the next uh, voice like that that will have that kind of anointing, that kind of platform in government, in the world? And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe we won't see anybody quite like that again. I don't know, but, but um, that, that's what I think about, that legacy and how the gospel has continued to go out, even in, in his passing, uh, the message is just ringing out. People, people are hungry for this, and they need, they need it, but they need to hear it from, from us. So today, as we, as we shift toward our study, we're going to be looking at the last week of Jesus' earthly life. Now, often this message would be reserved for what we call Palm Sunday. That's the weekend before Easter, because then literally you follow that last week. But there's so much more in, in the final hours of, of his life that we're going to look at the next couple of weeks prior to Easter. So, so it's really fitting on our path that we're going to devote this, um, this message to kind of the, the first few days of that final week. And he's going to usher us in to, uh, to his entry into the city, the teaching that's going to be taking place there. And if you were with us last week, let me just kind of take you on this journey once again. He was passing through Jericho. You remember that? And he saw the little tax collector, Zacchaeus, and went to his home for dinner. Uh, healed a blind man, Bartimaeus, on his way out of town where the crowds were gathered. So now they're on their way up to Jerusalem. And when I say up to Jerusalem, I mean literally. Uh, Jericho was about 900 feet below sea level, just north of the Dead Sea. And the path, about 12-mile journey up to Jerusalem, goes up to 2,500 feet. So if you can imagine walking that trek, it's all uphill. And right before you get into Jerusalem, there is a, a hill that you would go over, and we know it as the Mount of Olives. And there's a little village just before you go over the hill called Bethany. Bethany is where Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus lives. And so now you're finding that the setting, we've, we've, have we been on this journey, notice that Jesus' popularity has gone up and it's gone kind of backwards when he started teaching hard teachings and some left him. Now it's at, at really an all-time peak. And the reason why is because he's healed his friend Lazarus. And it's not really healed, he's raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Now the folks from Jerusalem have been hearing stories about resurrection, about people being raised from the dead. Remember the story of Jairus and his daughter, uh, you know, that was raised, and then the, the widow whose son, they were doing the funeral, and Jesus, you know, kind of broke that up when he raised this only son of the mother 
uh, raised him from the dead. Those stories that I'm sure had passed on, but now there was a man, Lazarus, that they could literally see and talk to because he was right there near Jerusalem, maybe only four miles away, okay? So his popularity is at an all-time high, and now he's going to approach uh, the city, and we're going to live with that uh, for the next few minutes this morning. I'm going to give you the outline right up front. We're going to talk about the praise that accompanied him on the way in. We're going to see the power that he displayed in that setting. We're going to see some of the teaching that led to a predicament because they were trying to kind of trap him, and, and we, we're going to watch how he negotiates through that. And then today we're going to end with a prediction that he makes about, uh, about the coming things in the future. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us uh, to understand and to bring to the Lord today a heart that is willing to be, be pressed and challenged just like those disciples in that last week were. We want to be among them, okay? Father, uh, today, for these next few minutes, I, I just... I just want to be taken out of everything else, everything that's surrounding us right now, and just to concentrate on you, on, on what you spoke through your Son, your Word, to us, and understanding that this moment that we're, we're going to be kind of walking through are some of the last few days of Jesus' earthly ministry. We understand how intense, how important it is for us to grasp these and to appropriate them to our hearts and our lives. So speak to us, Lord, in an area that we need to be touched. And I hope that we'll bring to you a heart that is pliable and submissive uh, to what you speak and what you say, and that we will um, carry that out according to your plans. Trust you for this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your notes, I uh, want you to pull them out, and we're going we're gonna to walk through this with you. Starting in Luke chapter 19. And as I said, Jesus has made his way to the little village of Bethany, and, uh, and now the day comes. It's a week before the, all the other things are going to transpire, the cross and then the resurrection. Uh, Jesus is with his friends, and now he's entering the city. It all kind of starts with him telling his disciples, okay, here's what you do. You're going to go to this place, such and such a place, and you're going to find a donkey there. And I want you to tell him that the master has need for this donkey, and everything's going to be all right. Bring it to me, and, and then we'll go from there. And, uh, you know, as I, as I thought about this, there's a common theme with everything we're going to talk about today, and that is faith. I, I've said this a couple of times already, but, but I'm, I'm thinking if it was the last week, and you knew this was the last week, and you were trying to influence those around you and those disciples don't you think we ought to pay particular attention to these final words that he's saying before he goes to the cross? He's really trying to kind of zero in on what really matters. And if there was one, one thought today that really matters, it's going to be the theme, kind of the thread through all of this. It's authentic faith. To trust him at a level that's going to please him. Faith is how we please God. Paul even said it. He said the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Next week when we get, get uh, to the upper room, we're going to see really it's all about love is, is what he's trying to impress them. But for today, it's this authentic faith. 
So first thing he tells them, he says, go to this place, like I tell you, tell the guys this, and, that, uh, and they're gonna follow through that. Uh, by the way, I've been, I've been thinking about testing my faith. I, I, I'm th- thinking about going to a car dealership and uh, say, you know, the master has need of this new, you know, car here, and just to see, you know, my, maybe if they would respond. Yeah, I'm just thinking, what was it like for these guys? You know, they don't know who these people are. They're just following the orders, right? And, and it happens just the way he says. Why was it important for him to enter in on a donkey? Well, if you're looking at your, uh, your notes down there, I put this uh, prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. This is what it's based upon. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation in his... Uh, 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 the salvation is his, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He had to do this according to prophecy. And I believe even those leaders that knew the scriptures, they recognize this. Because here's what happens. He's riding in and the scripture records that the people, his disciples, his followers are following him and they're praising Jesus. Listen to the words according to Luke 19. It says, as he was drawing near already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice, praising God with a loud voice for all his mighty works and that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Okay? You see the scene? These, these folks are singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, you know, again, most of us are acclimated to Palm Sunday, and we know that what they would have done is lay these palm branches down in his path as he was approaching down this hill over the Mount of Olives. They also would have been putting some olive branches down, okay? What was that? What was that all about? For us, it was like a red carpet. It's what we would, we would be... Uh, you know, rolling out the red carpet for somebody. That's what it meant for them. They were acknowledging his, his kingship, if you will, as he's approaching the city. And these people are praising him. But these Pharisees, remember our old buddies, the Pharisees? These are the guys, if you recall, that thought salvation was due to them obeying their rules. And I say their rules because it's the one they made up. Remember they took the laws of God and expanded them with all these other things that were unintended? And they think, oh, well, because we obey those and that's what we're about, that's where our salvation comes from. So they're looking down their nose. And I think based on this, they recognized that what these people were saying were essentially saying he is the Messiah. Notice they used the word king. Those Pharisees would have known that scripture and known that he was supposed to come in on donkey. And they would, have, they would have put things together, and they're basically saying, you can hear these people. What, you, stop them, Jesus. They're treating you like you're the Messiah. Well, <laughs> you are. He is. Yeah, they're treating you like you're the king of kings. Well, he is. Guys, it's amazing. Picture this. This is the Son of God. Colossians says he's the one that not only created everything, but Jesus is the one who holds it all together, even this very moment. Jesus is the one who's spoken into existence and holds it together. I mean, amazing 
And these folks didn't recognize it. They're looking down their nose. And out of their, their preconceived notions that they could not get past, their biased beliefs that they were hanging on to, all they could do was put down the praise of these people. Even the children were singing his praises. And that's why in one of the versions, Jesus uh, recounts Psalm 8. He quotes it. And he says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of, of your foes. And so he's saying, even the children are, are going are to sing the praises, say the praises. He says, if I was to tell these guys to stop, the rocks would start crying out praises. But they didn't get it. And guys, here's the, here's the first challenge I have for you today. This is about authentic faith. What does authentic faith look like? Could I just suggest to you in this realm of praise and what we would call worship, I see two crowds here. I see one crowd that was following and praising and passionately uh, you know, lifting him up, and on the other side, on the peripheral, are these guys that are looking down their noses and trying to put down that praise. There's two kinds of people. And I'm going to ask you today, where would you be in that setting? Would you be a participant? Or would you pontificate? Now you're thinking, where did that word come from? I had to look it up. Here's what I found. This is, this is the definition of pontificate. Pontificate is to express one's opinion in a way considered annoyingly pompous. Can I say that again? To express one's opinion in a way considered annoyingly pompous. Would that not describe those, those Pharisees on the wings? They're looking down their noses. All they want to do is criticize. All they want to do is put it down. And guys, I tell you, here's the truth. We have got to do some self-examination in this area. Our praise matters to God. What you bring to Him in our times that we, we design for what we would call worship, it matters to God. And the heart that we bring to Him, He sees right in there and He knows. It's like Jesus said earlier. He says, your lips say one thing, but your hearts are far from me. He was always calling this out. And we need to ask ourselves, where would we be? Some of us approach worship so casually and so flippantly. Sometimes it's all about what I want or what I like or, or it's all about me. And if it isn't, then I stay back and I don't even participate. Sometimes it shows up in our diligence to be here at our time of worship on time. Hate to say it, but it's true. It's a reflection of that priority in us. And I think we need to take, uh, take a bit of evaluation on our faith, our authentic faith, and how it represents in that arena. Friends, it's not easy. Don't expect to just naturally do this, okay, out of your feelings or just out of your emotion. It takes discipline, like prayer, like reading the Word, like everything else that we know that is going to lead to our, our growth and our nurture in, in the Lord, it's going to take attention. And if we just let it ride and drift, I promise you, it will drift away from the Lord, not toward Him, okay? 
And so I, I, I challenge us to examine where is our heart that we bring to Him when it comes to worship? Are we just standing on the wings and looking down our noses or criticizing or not participating? Or will we, we be one of those singing His praises, just, just so excited about who it is that we've come to worship? All right? That, uh, that kind of ushers us in to the experience that He has when He gets to the city. Because I'm telling you what, he stirred things up. As soon as he got into the temple gates, uh, he overturns the table of the money changers. Creates quite a commotion. And you may wonder, why didn't they just arrest him right there? You talk about disturbing the peace. This picture is very disruptive. Why didn't they arrest him right then? I think it's because of his reputation and the power that he represented. Keep in mind, He's raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the guy that has raised somebody from the dead. And now we've got an actual testimony of this. And they were kind of in awe. And nobody was going to go after him. Nobody was going to touch him at this point. Okay? He goes back out of the city, goes probably back up to Bethany, where he would spend the night. It's about four miles out of the city of Jerusalem up to Bethany over the hill, over the Mount of Olives on his side. Okay, and that, that, that kind of lays the ground for the second area. And this was his power. He comes down the hill once again, and as they're approaching the city, something it's kind of an odd story in a way if you, if you just read it casually, but he approaches this tree, and from a distance it had leaves on it, and he expected that he was going to find some fruit. It was a fig tree. But if you're glancing uh, at Mark's version, Mark 11, uh, that, that I recorded for you there, it says, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, this is interesting because my understanding of the fig trees there, when there are leaves, there typically are figs. The two go together, but not the case here. And what was this about? Started thinking about this. And in Scripture, uh, numerous places in the Old Testament, fig trees were a symbol of Israel. And they were used in the prophecies and some of the things regarding that. And if that's the case, which I think is, is true, Jesus is looking at this tree that represents Israel. He's expecting to find something there, and he doesn't find it. And I think what, what it's an indication of is he was looking for exactly what we're talking about today, authentic faith. He was looking for faith on the part of Israel, and they had the leaves. Everything on the outside looked good. They knew the right sayings. They knew the right teaching. They dressed right. They went through all the motions. But when he started digging deep, there wasn't any faith. Do you remember how many times in this journey he would say, I'm looking for this faith. I haven't found such faith in Israel. He found it in a Gentile. He found it up in the Syrophoenician area. He found it other places. But in Israel, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And now he's getting ready to go into the lion's den, basically, where these guys not only don't believe him, they're trying to kill him. He doesn't find the faith. Now, why would we believe that? Now, watch what happens on the way back out he is pronounced, uh, when, he, when he approached this tree, it said that he pronounced a curse on it. May you never bear any fruit again. And then when they came back out, Peter remembered, and he said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have, what does it say? 
faith in God. So this isn't just some casual miracle or you know, just some passing by miracle that he did to show his power. There's a message behind this, and it's a message about faith. I'm, I was looking for faith. I didn't find it. It matters to me. And now this thing's withered up. But here, you guys be reminded, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes in what he says, it will come to pass, it will be done for him. The next verse after that says, nothing will be impossible for those of you who would believe in me, believe in my word. And so here's the second challenge I want to pose to you. When you pray, when you pray and, and you know what the Lord has said and you know what his word says and you're praying, do you pray in what we might call in the form of hope that this will happen or do you pray believing that this will happen? This mountain moving faith that he's describing here, do you think that that's just analogous? Do you think that's just just, you know, he's just trying to exaggerate maybe something? Or is there a reality there that sometimes we don't tap into because we haven't quite comprehended what true praying and faith is all about? We pray often what I call the prayer of surrender. And it sounds good to us, you know, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to pray your will be done. I'm going to pray whatever you want to do, Lord, you do. Guys, I just have to tell you, that's really not a prayer of faith. That's a prayer of surrender, and it's okay. You might say, well, isn't that what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane? Keep in mind, when he prayed there, he knew what God's will was, didn't he? He knew what was ahead, and he was struggling to align himself with that maybe, but he's saying, Lord, I surrender to, to what I know your will to be. I want to tell this is my conviction, guys. This is all it is. But I think a lot of times we fail to pray prayers of faith because we're just flat out lazy. We don't want to spend the time in the presence of the Lord struggling and going back and keep knocking and keep coming until we receive the answer that God has promised us. We knock one time. No, nothing happens. And so we walk away. We say, well, Lord, whatever you want to do. He wants to reveal his will to you. He wants you to know what he's all about and what he's going to do. He really does. Think about Apostle Paul. How many times did he pray when he was struggling with this thorn in the flesh? Once? Twice? Three times it says he went back to the Lord. And finally, after the third time, God reveals, I'm not going to take this away from you, Paul. This is the very thing I'm going to use in your life to keep you humble, to keep you usable because you've had this lofty vision over here. But it didn't come the first, the second. It came the third time that he kept going to the Lord. And then he knew what God wanted. I'll oftentimes use Acts 3 when the apostles John and Peter were walking into the temple and they saw this lame man sitting in front of the gate. Something special. Jesus, his spirit just came alive, and the guy's asking for alms, and he said, I'm not, we're not going to give you money. We don't have money, but what we do have, we're going to give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And that is so amazing story because it says, as they reached down to grab him by the hand and lift him up, that's when his ankle bones received strength. They didn't stand back and say, God, whatever your will is, if you want to heal this guy, you know, go, go ahead and do it and then stand away. 
the prayer of faith said, what are you doing sitting there, man? And they grabbed him by the, by the arm and lifted him, and that's when it happened. That's what the prayer of faith looks like. And I think Jesus is calling us out. He's saying, do you really believe? You can move a mountain if you believe in my word. And friends, this isn't us just conjuring something up, a wish or a desire, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me. This isn't you just kind of having a carte blanche or whatever you want. This is being so in touch with the spirit of Jesus Christ that you're aware of what he's doing. It's all about him. He is the word, and that's why Romans says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, okay? That's where it comes. It's not something that we're, we're generating. So, be careful. I might start preaching here. I don't know. I, I, I'm passionate about this area, I really am, because I, I just know in my life, so, so rarely it seems like that I get into that, that place, and a lot of times it's just my sheer lack of discipline to spend the time in the presence of the Lord. Do I pray just with hope, or do I really pray believing in what Jesus has said and standing on that, okay? Well, he goes from there, and I did want to spend just a moment or two on some of the experiences that he has while he's in Jerusalem. Because that week, <clears throat> we would have found him most likely on the southern steps of the temple. We've, we've been there, we go there on our, our trips when we're there. It's an amazing place because it's, it's authentic. I mean, it's, they've uncovered, these are the, the actual places where he would have been. And these steps kind of constitute a natural amphitheater. Okay, they're, they're large, they lead up to this, this uh, majestic place of the temple. They look out over the old city of David. It's a beautiful place, very quiet, very serene. And Jesus would have been teaching there. And in the wings, once again, here are these Pharisees, and they're trying to capture him. They're trying to get him snagged by, and trapped into something he says. And so one occasion, they say, Jesus... Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? And they thought that he would trip up and, and that he would acknowledge something that they could claim blasphemy, right? That he's, that he's God. Well, he says, he, he, knew, he knew where they were coming from, and he says, I'll tell you what, you've asked me a question. I'll answer your question if you answer my question. Okay, they said. So tell me this, was John's baptism from man or was it from God? You could just see him pulling over into a little huddle and they're murmuring over here. They're saying, well, if we say it's from God, he's going to say, then why didn't you do it? And if we say it's from man, we're going to have a riot because people love John and they recognize that he was a prophet. We're, we're, we're stumped. So they, they go back and they say, well, we're going to have to get back with you on that one. <laughs> All right? And so Jesus said, well, I'm not going to answer your question then. And this happened repeatedly because they were always trying to trap him to the point where if you're, if you're looking again at Matthew's gospel, or excuse me, at Luke 20, it says, so they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said and so as to deliver him to the authorities and the jurisdiction of the governor. And they were not able to in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. So they kept coming after him, trying to do this. Another occasion, they said, Jesus, uh, is it right for us to pay tribute to Caesar? 
And believe me, this was a political hot button. People hated paying tribute to Caesar. It was an oppression. And so they knew that if he said, yeah, it's right, then people were going to hate him for it. But if he said, if, no, you, you shouldn't do that, then what? They're going to they're gonna arrest him. The Romans will because he's, he's claiming to be an insurgent you know, against Rome. So Jesus says, give me a coin. Does anybody have a coin here? And he says, see the coin? Whose picture is on that coin? And they say, Caesar. And he says, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Whoosh. He reminds me of Nazareth. Remember when they were trying to throw him off the hill <laughs> and, and get rid of him right then and there? And he just kind of walks away. He's amazing. His answers are amazing. He is all wisdom. He is all truth. And guys, here's my challenge in this area, okay? Each one, I, I, wanna, I want you to wrestle with a question. Where do you go with your questions? When you have doubts, when you have something that is unsettled, what is your instinct? Where do you go? Now, I know it might sound flippant, but do you go to Google? <laughs> Or do you go to Jesus? <clears throat> Think about that. We're getting to the place where any question that comes our way about our health or about this or about that, or we, we just we almost immediately, instinctively are going to Google. Well, Google it, right? Somebody writes the stuff in Google, and it's not always necessarily true. You know, somebody is behind that. But here's what you can count on. Whatever Jesus says, it is true. He told his disciples, I am the truth, I am the life, and I am the way. Do you go to Jesus with your concerns, with your fears, with your doubts, with your questions? Is that where we instinctively go? That's authentic faith because we know he's the one that has the answer. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the answer like that good old song said. He is the answer for the world today. Okay. Last thing I wanted to take you to. A lot packed in today, I know, but, uh, but this is one of those subjects we don't touch on very often, but I want to say just a little bit more about this. But this is a prediction that Jesus makes that is in this, this realm of these, these few days. And once again, I'm going to take you up to the Mount of Olives. Um, anytime you see a picture of the city of Jerusalem laying out, you know, with the wall and the golden dome and all that, that picture is usually taken from the Mount of Olives, uh, back in the time of Christ, that's where these olive groves would have been. It's what he loved about it. I think he loved it because of the serenity that was up there, but also the proximity to where he could look out over the city and pray for Jerusalem and what it represented. Remember when he weeped over Jerusalem and he said, oh, Jerusalem, if you only knew who it was, you know, who's been, been, who has come to you. Well, on this occasion, he's sitting up on the Mount of Olives and they're privately uh, asking Jesus, this question. They said, as he sat there on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? All right. This is what we call the Olivet Discourse. And it encompasses probably the, the most comprehensive teaching of Jesus on end times that we have. Now, you might not have heard this term. I just throw it out there. It, the term that we talk of in theological background is eschatology. It's the study of end times. And in case you're just newer to North Shore or you've never heard this before, 
At North Shore, we, we do not take an official stand in our eschatology, but we recognize, and I do this in our welcome class, I just say, here are some of the differing views that people have, but at North Shore, we don't treat those as non-negotiables. Okay, those are things that you can hold a different opinion, but we can still have fellowship and unity together, all right? So some of you have come out of teachings or you're aware of, of certain things, and, and you know, maybe you hang on to that, and that's just fine. You know, as long as we're, we're uh, unified and we're not divisive over these issues. And on occasion, I will kind of pass on to you what my understanding has been, but I try not to do this in a way that's going to be dogmatic or kind of press you into one way or the other. I really truly want you to search and, and discover this, but I, I do have to say this. In my study, in my time, my history of, of walking through this subject, this section of Scripture is probably the, the primary body of teaching from Jesus himself that I draw from. And I want to quickly just hit, hit a surface. If you haven't uh, heard much on this topic about the end times, things like that, here's what I would pass on to you. First of all, Jesus makes clear that there will be signs that will accompany his, his return. Okay, Now, if you read this passage, you could get confused very easily, and here's why. Because before this statement, Jesus is disclosing some things that are going to happen about the temple and that one stone won't, won't uh, remain on the other, okay? Uh, he's referring to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. when Titus, the Roman general, came through, and they did just that. They ransacked Jerusalem, and that was the, that was the end of Judaism in that area like we knew it. That was Then they were dispersed, okay? He's predicting that. And, uh, but that's not the same as this. This distinctly is his coming and the end of the age. The end of the age. What are the signs? I put these up here because uh, I want you to, I'm going through them really quickly. You can see the verses associated with these, so I just want to bring these out real quickly. Here are the things Jesus said will be the sign. First of all, there is spiritual deception. He's saying there'll be false Christ, false messengers, false prophets that were going to come uh, during that season. There will be military aggression, wars, rumors of wars. There will be sickness and disease, uh, pestilence uh, on a broad scale like, like you, you typically do not see. Climactic confusion. He's saying earthquakes. There, there will be other uh, phenomenon in, in the climate and in, in the, the, uh, the earth that are going to um, be evident. Religious persecution. Those who follow the Lord, who name the name of Jesus, they're going to come under duress and persecution. Human depravity. There's a wickedness at a level like, like you would not typically see. He says the love of many will grow cold in that, in that season, and it will increasingly be so. And finally, heavenly phenomenon uh, in the stars and the moon and other things that you, you'll witness, okay? Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, you could probably take a slice out of any point of history the last 2,000 years, and those things are evident. That's just it's what we experience in this fallen earth that we live, right? There's always been wars. There's been sickness. There's been disease. There's been earthquakes. There's been all these things, right? So, so what makes it any different? Here's the distinct. Jesus says these are like birthing pains. And so as the time gets closer, these things will grow in frequency and in intensity. They will grow in frequency and intensity. 
Now, I can't speak as one uh, having experienced this before, but I walked through it with my wife when she gave birth to our, I remember our first child. I was kind of, I didn't know what to expect. I just, I, all, I, all I expected was all of a sudden she's going to go, oh, it's time, you know, and then how it happened. She says, hey, I think I'm having a contraction. And I said, really? I said, well, what's it like? And well, you know, it's just kind of, you know, it's, I think it's happening. And no big deal. They were about six minutes apart. And then about three hours later, they got to be about three minutes apart. She says, I think we better, I think we better go to the doctor. But she, she still was, you know. But then when we were in the delivery room, then the, whoa, you know, came. And, and I just think about that. I've always thought about that with these types of things. Now, I don't know, and I'm not going to provide my own interpretation. You guys have, have a sense of, in your own sense. But when you talk about wickedness and evil, and you talk about global nature of these things and the frequency, and, and do they seem to be stepping up, those are the things that are going to get our attention, that things are getting closer and closer. And, and you know, it might, it, there might be a lull there, and you're thinking, okay, well, not now. But then it comes back again with even more intensity and more frequency, and it just keeps growing. This is what it's going to look like. Jesus never gave us a date. That's not his style. But he said, these are going to be the signs. And if I was to pass on to you the one thing that I'm quite certain of about the second coming of Jesus Christ, there are three words I want to leave with you. First of all, Jesus himself said, it will come suddenly. It will come suddenly. He describes it like lightning going across the sky. And friends, that comes quick, doesn't it? Boom, there it is. Boom. That's how it's going to happen. It's going to come suddenly. It's going to come visibly there's no secret. There's no hush-hush about it. It is visible. He said it himself. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then the tribes of the earth will mourn. In other words, the whole earth is going to witness this. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay? So it's going to be visible. And the last thing is it will be conclusive. This will be the end. If you're looking at Revelation and you're studying that, this is the point where it says the great white throne and the, and the final thing, and then, then we're, we're with the Lord forever. This is the end at that time. He says he'll send out his angels with the, the loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's what I know. And here's the last question I want to ask you. We've thought about authentic faith. True faith. This is what Jesus is looking for. Faith that will praise him and honor and worship him with a sincere heart, diligent. A faith that will believe in his power and trust him. Mountain-moving faith, what he's looking for. It's a faith that will go to him with our questions, with our concerns, even with our doubts. But we go to him because he's the answer and finally, it is a faith that is ready to meet our Jesus. We will, we will be ready. And that's the question I will ask you. Are you ready? Are you ready today? Is there something inside your soul this morning that's just kind of unsettled a bit? 
But there's, there's something kind of lingering. There's, there's a step you know he's been drawing you to, but you just haven't quite, quite stepped out yet. Are you still on the outside looking in, waiting for something or some sign to prompt you or to move you? Friends, chances are it's not going to be any more than just right now, right here, and the question, will you trust Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, Will your faith be put into Him and not anything else that you rest on for your salvation? Are you ready? Here's what Jesus said. I close with this. Be ready because you do not know the hour that the Son of Man will appear. It could happen any moment. And I don't want one of you here to be lost. Today would be the day. Trust Him. Take that step. Begin to get to know him, and, uh, and you'll never regret it. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. We're going to pray, and uh, our team's going to come and close us with a closing song. Father, today uh, we, we prayed to start this message that you would give us hearts that would be willing to hear. <laughs> this has probably been one of those messages, a few of these points have been kind of tough. Maybe they're piercing, maybe they're convicting, and that's a good thing. Thank you for your spirit that does that in us. But we know that it's all surrounded by your love. You love us and love us so much you're not going to leave us where we're at. You're going to challenge us. You're going to prompt us, Lord, to, toward a deeper faith. And, and there's times, Lord, that's just flat hard. There's somebody in the room today that's facing a challenge. And the real question is, will they trust you or are they going to look to themselves or some other thing for their source of comfort and security? God, is there a person in the room who's unsettled about uh, their preparedness to stand before you. We know that your word says every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords. And today, as we contemplate what that's going to be like in that moment, I pray that not one in this room who's heard this would leave here before they settle in their heart that they want to be found in Christ. If that's where you're at, just, just talk to him. He said, if you trust me and believe in me, you'll be saved. Confess to him, Lord, I, I, I just need your forgiveness for what I've done, how I've lived, the path I've taken. I want to turn from that, Lord. I really do. I want to turn toward you. I can't do it myself. I've been trying, and I can't do it. I need you and me in my heart to make it your home. I commit myself to you. I love you, Lord. And I'm asking you today to fill me with your spirit. And I just pray, God, that, that someone even in this room today will find that salvation has come and this new life begins. We look forward to what that means in the days and the weeks ahead. We trust you with this. We really do, Lord. We trust you with ourselves, our lives. And we do so in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.